Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. All of you will leave me. You got that, right? Okay. Because somebody in the story didn't. And it's not because he didn't, couldn't receive it or didn't hear it. It's he's got this thing that I have. It's called pride. It's called pride. And a little bit of arrogance. A little bit of arrogance, too. And pride and arrogance will always be your downfall. The Proverbs tell us that, you know, a haughty look and, and pride, they go before what? Destruction and a fall. As a child of God, one of the most important attributes that will help you become more like the Lord is humility. Today, Pastor James will be explaining how a prideful spirit is always before the fall. Satan was proud and became delusional to think that he could overthrow God. The Bible is very clear that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Don't allow the very sin that caused Lucifer to fall to hold you back from God's grace. God can easily work within you and through you if you humble yourself. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 14 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We're going to pick back up into Mark chapter 14. Where we left off, it was the upper room experience where Jesus and his disciples were celebrating Passover, but then also Jesus instituted or started communion, the Lord's Supper, okay? Two different things, but they were celebrating Passover. They found an upper room, and they're all there, and what Mark's gospel account doesn't let us know, but we know from the other ones, is that at one point in time in the dinner, Jesus himself got down took on the form of a servant, and washed all their feet, which is customary back in the day. He even washed Judas's feet, whom he knew was going to turn around and betray him. He knew that he was already working on that, but he still washed his feet, still gave him a place at the table of prominence. To sit at his left hand, that's a seat of prominence. He gave that to his enemy, Judas, giving him another chance of like, Judas, it doesn't have to be you. It doesn't have to be you. Yes, it's prophesied that it would be one of them, but Judas, you have a choice in this thing. And Judas went on with it. So he left, and then the Lord did communion with the other 11 disciples that were there with him, plus who knows how many other followers were, going, were with them. And then they close out the Passover meal with singing a song. And that's a, they sing a hymn, and it's one of the, the Hillel uh, Psalms, and they, they sing this. And then that's where we pick up. It's verse 27 of chapter 14. Just so you understand, we're, we're in the room, but we're about to leave the room, and it's the middle of the night. And typically on Passover, you stay up late and you talk about uh, redemption, okay? That's usually what you do if you're a Jew celebrating Passover. You stay up late and you talk about God's redemption. So they are probably around 10 o'clock in the evening, which would be late for these guys. They're going to be transitioning from the upper room making their way towards the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? Verse 27, on, on the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That's clear, right? I just read that. This is New Living Translation. Yours may word it a little differently, but in essence, they're the same thing. All of you 
will leave me. You got that, right? Okay. Because somebody in the story didn't. And it's not because he didn't, couldn't receive it or didn't hear it. It's he's got this thing that I have. It's called pride. It's called pride. And a little bit of arrogance. A little bit of arrogance, too. And pride and arrogance will always be your downfall. The Proverbs tell us that, you know, a haughty look and, and pride, they go before what? Destruction and a fall. And here's Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, Yeshua. He says, all of you, you're going to leave me. You're going to bail on me. You're not going to betray me. See, Judas betrayed, different Greek word. These guys are going to abandon, different words. Judas betrayed. Judas sold him out. Judas delivered him over to the enemy, willingly. But these guys who were with him, he's like, you're going to run away from me. You're going to desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That's from uh, what Zechariah 13, 7. So Jesus just letting him know. He's giving him a heads up. Don't worry. Hey, you think it's bad right now? It's, well, they have no clue how bad it's going to get. But he's like, you're all going to bail on me. Peter, uh, well, let's go on to verse 28. Here's what I love about Jesus. He lets him know the truth. And then he also expounds on that a little bit more with some encouragement. But after I am raised from the dead, see, he said that, I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise from the dead. He told them this repeatedly, okay? And so um, they, they're, they're just derailed right now. At this moment when Jesus is saying this, these guys have all been just sideswiped, so to speak. Like, what do you mean we're going to leave you? So whatever he says next, I don't think that they were truly listening to what he was saying. He says, but after I'm raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee, and I'll meet you there. You're going to leave me, but here's the deal. We're going to be reunited. You will leave me, but you'll come back. You'll leave me, but you'll come back. Jesus, to us, you might walk away. You might backslide, but you can always come back. And guess what? He'll meet you wherever that's at. There's that hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Ah, that song resonates with my soul. Why? Because I'm prone to wander. If I'm honest with myself, prone to wander. It's hard. It's hard. Following Jesus is like, there's nothing easier in the sense of he did all the work. It just requires a sacrifice on our part saying, Yes, a surrender. I'll follow you. I, you're my Lord and my Savior, and that means i got to do what you say. But I'm all in, absolutely. And then as we're going to see with these disciples, when the rubber hits the road, it's like, this thing is, this thing is pretty difficult at times. And yeah, there is this, this part of me that's like this flesh that I deal with where it is prone to wonder. And if we're just real, if we're just honest and just admit that, then you'll find yourself being less surprised throughout life. When you're like, how did I get here? Well, you, you're prone to wonder. And that, if anything, that should be a wake-up call to, a, to where we're like, you know what? I have that tendency, so I should live out my life proactively and stay in the Word and pray, and stay in community, stay in fellowship, right? I, got, and I know that that's there, so I have to guard myself against that. That reminds me of 
Recent news, we were asked about like, hey, we're going to make a statement because we do life groups and we use Matt Chandler's stuff for our life groups. And you've probably seen that he's in the media right now. And what's your statement on that? I have no statement on it. What's the, what's, he did what he was supposed to do. In their church policies, he may have overstepped some boundaries. This isn't a sin issue. This is a, they have church things where they guard and protect. And he was having communications with a lady that his wife knew about and that her husband knew about because they were counseling, but it was becoming too familiar. So out of wisdom, he says, I need to step back. Why? Because he, he and his leadership team identified there's this prone to wonder thing happening inside of him that maybe he needs to take some time away and figure out that thing before it turns into a bad story. I got no problems with Matt Chandler. None at all. I respect that. My goodness, more pastors need to do that. You probably have less pastors falling into sin if they would actually be mature and do those types of things. That's my statement on that. Praise God for men, godly men who know how to step up and be bold and say, you know what? I'm feeling like I'm prone to wonder in this scenario, and I should probably take some time and spend it with the Lord and maybe do some counseling and figure out what's going on in here before I ruin my family and my church. So praise God for that. I applaud him for doing that. We're still going to use his curriculum in our life groups. So there you go. But that's a very active, I wasn't planning that at all, but that's like in our headlines of like somebody who identified, there's this thing still inside of me that I wrestle with every single day. So you got to own it. Can't pretend like it's not there. Jesus told his guys, you're going to leave me. You're going to bail on me. But, but, we'll meet again in Galilee. We'll meet again in Galilee. Peter, verse 29, says to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Wait, all of you will desert me. Peter, in essence, is calling Jesus a liar. That's not good. That's not smart. Um, Jesus is, you know, he, he's God. Uh, let's just, let's, he's, he's God. And he's, he doesn't lie. And he's like, all of you will leave me. Peter's like, excuse me, Jesus. Excuse me, sir. I have an issue with what you just said. Because what you said doesn't apply to me. And that's a problem when that happens within our hearts. When Jesus says something to us and we correct Jesus and say, no, what you're saying doesn't apply to me. No, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, everything he says to you applies to you. So it's wise to pay attention to that. But Peter's like, nope, Jesus ain't happening. Peter, how many times have we been down this road? How many times have you stuck your foot in your mouth? Quite often, Peter, you got a tendency, right? You might need some help with this. But Peter's like, he has this audacity. But it's his pride. It's his arrogance where he steps up and he's like, I don't think so, Jesus. I don't think so. I will never. Be careful when you use those terms, those definite terms. I will never. Hold on. Hold on. Take that back because you don't know. I will never, I never will. I will never leave you, Jesus. Jesus replies to Peter. You can tell in the scene, in this scene, if it's playing out, like they're having this one-on-one kind of conversation. And Jesus speaking to Peter says, I tell you the truth. 
Peter, I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. Not only will you abandon me, Peter, but you're going to deny me three times. See, Peter had no idea what was going on. He had no clue. He just thought like, no, I'm the, I'm the biggest and I'm the baddest of these disciples. Like nobody's going to leave. I'm not, they, these knuckleheads will leave him, but I will never leave him. Are you kidding me? I am devoted. I'm the one who got all the questions right to all the answers, or to you know, all the answers right to all the questions he was asking. Who do people say I am? You're the Messiah. That's right, Peter. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father has. And on this rock, not you, Peter. He used to be Simon. Now he's Peter, like Petros, right? On this truth, I will build my church. You've got to know that that probably went to Peter's head. He's like, yeah, that's right. The rock. I'm the rock, right? Like, we got the rock on movies now, but no, Peter's like the original rock, okay? <laughs> Fortunately, his name means little pebble. Um, not like big rock, so whatever. Um, but here he is, he's like, no, not happening. And Jesus comes along, and I believe that Jesus is speaking with compassion and gentleness in this rebuke of Peter, because he is rebuking him, just so we understand this. I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. You will deny three times that you even know me, that you even know me. You will flat out reject me, Peter. You won't just run away from me, Peter. You will run away, and then you will have three opportunities to testify about me and your relationship with me. And all three of those times, you will deny even knowing me, even to go so far as to curse me, Peter. That's what he's telling him. Peter, you think that would resonate, right? Like if Jesus had a one-on-one with you, an eye-to-eye conversation with you, and gently rebukes you, I would hope, now I'm a lot like Peter, so this wouldn't work for me, I'm, I'm sure, but I would hope that when he says that, that something would click. But it doesn't for Peter. Because look at his next statement. No. An emphatic no. Absolutely not. You're wrong, Jesus. You're wrong. No. He declares emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. I will never leave you, and I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. I love that, this group of followers, right? These other like 10 disciples are like, yeah, 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 that's right. Us too, us too, right? And you're like, okay, you guys need to calm down, okay? Because Number one, he's led you wrong plenty of times, right? Peter has gotten them into trouble many times in following Jesus in these three, three and a half years. Now they have courage, right? But Peter is like, I don't think so, Jesus. And not, not just once, but twice he tries to, like, correct Jesus. We know that there are other stories between Peter and Jesus, and I just love this dynamic. I love this relationship that they have where Peter is rebuking Jesus. He's not just, he's like correcting Jesus. And Jesus is like, Peter. And he loves Peter. That whole story, if you ever do like a, um, a study on, on, on a person, do one on Peter. Uh, uh, obviously, it'd be a New Testament study. But do a, a personal study on the life of Peter. You will really appreciate it from start to finish. 
You will really appreciate it. I, I, I love this guy. Um, tremendous man. And, and, and just, uh, man, but he is, he is so prideful and uh, just, just out there. That's Peter. Um, just a rough fisherman, probably in his early 30s around this time. He was about the same age. We think that they were probably about all the same age around their 30s. So if you get these pictures of these old dudes as disciples, that's not true. That's probably not all that accurate, right? These are young men. And here's this young man who, you know, hasn't clicked in his head just yet that I don't know everything. And here's the creator who made you in one sense, telling you, no, no, you, this is what's going to happen in your life. And you're like, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I'm not buying that. Okay. And then they, on Mark's account, which Peter is there with Mark, they are writing this letter together. It just moves on. It just moves on. Jesus didn't like, you know, rebuke him again, or I mean, didn't get into it. It's just the story goes on. They're going to transition into the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, this is where, I mean, the night's already dark, but this is where it just gets really dark, really dark, really fast. Um, the only light you have is the moonlight and stars, okay? So again, I just want to help create this scene uh, just visually within your minds of understanding what's going on here. So you might think like Garden of Gethsemane, sun shining, birds are chirping and all like, no, it's dark. It's really dark. So we transition into the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 32, it says, They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. So he, he has his disciples sit down. He's like, You guys hang out here. I'm going to go and pray. But he's going to take his, his three main guys with him. Okay, within, out of the total 12, we know Judas isn't in the story, but out of the total amount of them, he designated three of them as really kind of leaders amongst the group. And he, he took them up to the Mount of Trans Transfiguration. Now he's going to take them deeper into the garden. He took Peter, James, and John with him. And he became deeply troubled and distressed. This is Jesus. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Luke expounds upon that because what, what was going on at this moment in time is um, this, this tremendous pressure has been placed on Jesus. He knows the cross is coming, but he's not worried about the cross. He's not afraid of the cross. He's not afraid of the crown of thorns. He's not afraid of them tearing the skin off of his back and exposing his muscles and tendons and all that stuff. He's not afraid of those things. That is not what he is fearful of. That is not what's stressing him out. What's stressing him out, if I can use that term, is the fact that for the first time in his existence, he will be separated from the Father. Our sins will be poured out onto him, and the Father will turn his back to him. For the first time, in, and they have existed forever, perfect community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And for the first time in all of existence, there would be a separation. That's what's troubling him. Oh, if I only live my Christian life like that. If I only live my Christian life like that. I'm afraid of the pain. I'm afraid of the unknown. I'm afraid of the stuff, right? And I don't have enough money to pay this bill this month or whatever. I'm afraid of all those things. 
but how my Christian life would be different if I was afraid of the separation. How the church would look different if we were afraid of the separation. Not that there will be any separation. You're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that at all. But if we could reprogram our brains to think that way, when we sin, it's, it's, it's us turning our back on him. Sin separates. Sin destroys. But I'm so preoccupied with worrying about this and that and all this other stuff. I don't worry about sin that much, and I think that's a problem in the church. Here Jesus is saying, I'm crushed. He's so stressed out. The, The capillaries underneath his skin are bursting, and he is sweating great drops of blood. Luke's gospel account tells us that. Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. He knew what he's talking about. He's like, he's covered Jesus, your Savior, in the garden, is covered in blood. He's a bloody mess because of what was to come. And he's letting these three disciples know, he's like, I need you guys right now. I'm bringing you in to this story a little bit deeper, a little bit further, because I want you with me. You, you need to understand that the Garden of Gethsemane was, was hell for Jesus. It was, that was his, I mean, he was going through this tremendous suffering. And I'm not saying he physically went there, not at that, but going through this point, this was like, this was that, he was gearing up for that separation. You understand that hell, literally, actually, it does exist. It is an eternal separation between mankind and God forever. There would never be a chance of going back at all. When we think of hell as like, our, our world has done a really good job of cartooning, cartoonalizing, kind of, if that's even a word, I just made it up, um, making it a joke, uh, that, you know, it's, it's little red guys with pitchforks and all this stuff. It, that's not what it is. That's not what it is. The, the, the worst part about hell is there's, there's a separation between you and God, and you sit there with the realization of like, yeah, he did die for me but I rejected him forever. Here's Jesus, and he knows, yeah, the cross is coming. Yeah, the, I, he came to be the, this is part of the plan. He came to be the perfect sacrifice, but we need to understand for the first moment, there will be a separation, and that has him distressed. It has him distressed. And I read that, and I think like, oh, man, if I just live my life like that, I just live my life like that. And I praise God for the grace of God and his mercy that are new, it's new every morning. And if I, walk, if, I, if I do fall away or whatever, then there's restoration and all that beautiful stuff. But it's also like, man, I just wish I, I wish I just modeled this a little bit more in my life. It might change things. Now we get this little insight into his prayer. It says, uh, he goes on to say, stay here with me and keep watch with me, right? So he's just asking his disciples, just be with me. Just be with me. Stay with me. Stay with me in my time of trouble, okay? My time of distress. It says, he went on a little further and fell to the ground. So this little further in the Greek technically means a stone's throw.
We're so glad that you joined us for a look at the Gospel of Mark here on Bread for the Broken. Pastor James will continue to take you verse by verse through this New Testament book about Jesus. There's so much to learn. We pray that you've heard something today that's drawn you deeper into your relationship with the Lord. Do you have questions about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus? Well, we would love to hear from you and talk more. So go to breadforthebroken.com and click on contact to leave a message for us. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Or if you're in the Galveston area, we would love to get to know you in person too. Join us on Sundays or Thursdays as we study God's Word together at Calvary Galveston. You'll find service times, more information, and directions at our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. We're so grateful for our listening audience. And if this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you consider teaming up with us in a financial way? A lot is done to get these teachings out on the radio. And we're so grateful for those who feel led by God to contribute in that way. Simply go to the About tab on our website and you'll find the Donate link. We'd also like to ask you to be praying for us and for your fellow listeners. We can all use God's guidance and continued grace as we navigate this world with Him. Thanks for praying. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can also find it on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for tuning in today to Bread for the Broken.